Let's read this together, Luke 4, 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days he was tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, do you notice the attack on the identity there? If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And then the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. This is the highest place in the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands... They will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. All right, pretty well known uh, scene in the life of Jesus there. But this is what we're going to declare. This afternoon, we proclaim that Jesus resisted the satanic temptation to save the world in ways that destroy the world. We're going to unpack that. But Jesus resisted the satanic temptation to save the world in ways that actually destroy the world. And it's our salvation. It's his faithfulness. And it's our salvation. Uh, Walter White. All right, Breaking Bad. I made it through all five seasons now. And so, I have much to share. <laughs> but so much connected to the life of Walter White. Walter White, Breaking Bad star, he, uh, well, you know, the, the central character of Breaking Bad, the TV show, uh, he has wonderfully noble intentions, desires, right? Here you're introduced to this character, Walter White, he's a chemist, high school chemistry teacher who gives his life to his students. I mean, he's like Mike Platt times, maybe even a little bit more. Just loves his kids, me Andy Gray. He loves his kids. He wants to invest in them. He's taken a lower paying job. He's a brilliant chemist. He's given his all to these students. He has a wonderful wife, uh, a wonderful son who's struggling with a chronic disability who's about to graduate, his wife at about 40 years old is pregnant with a surprise child on the way. And he's complaining of like pain in his body. He goes to the doctor and it's the word that no one wants to hear, right? You've got terminal cancer. You're gonna die. 
You're going to leave this family. You're going to be, it's, it's, it's done. You've only got a few months to live. And so he starts to ask himself, well, what am I going to do? I'm just a chemistry high school teacher. How am I, what's my family going to do? I love my family. I want them to be provided for. I want my son to go to college. I want my little baby to grow up and not have, have lack. I want my wife to be secure. What, what am I going to do? And so he has these noble intentions. He wants to save his family. And he begins to think, how can I save my family? How can I do it? And he puts, he puts this to thought, right? And he sees the money made in making drugs, meth. And he's really good at it because he's a chemistry teacher. He's a brilliant chemistry guy. And so he can make the best meth on the market. And he says, hey, they're already addicted to meth. I'm not contributing to the problem. I'm just going to make money off of their addiction. And he starts to justify this. And so the show is five seasons of Walter White making uh, compromises. It chronicles his string of compromises um, allowing the end of saving his family to justify any means that he has. Any means that it takes to save his family. So he's going to, he's going to, um, he loves his family, wants to save his family, so he wants to, he'll start lying, he'll live a life of deceit, he'll live a life of violence, he'll live a life of coercive power and manipulation. He will poison people, even kids, and it just goes on and on. It's him breaking bad and badder and batter and batter. Okay? I know that's not correct grammar. So I want to show you this clip real quick. This is a clip of Gus Springs. It's like this really high level. Um, oh, it's not plugged in? Okay, hold on, man. We'll get some song. I'm going to set this up. He's a high level drug dealer, higher than Walter White. Walter White is trying to get out of the game, but he's being invited in by this guy, Gus Spring. And I want you to hear. Uh, the exchange and the way that Gus invites him into this lifestyle tempts him. How did you know how to put this all together? I had excellent help. As we quite a lot of fun. This is like state-of-the-art drug. The longer it says, I've owned it for years. It receives large chemical deliveries on a weekly basis, detergents and such. There is nothing suspicious about it. And my employees, to be sure, are well-trained, trustworthy. The filtration system is state-of-the-art. It prevents nothing but clean, odorless steam, just as a laundry does, and through the very same stacks. I need 200 pounds per week to make this economically viable. You would choose your own hours, of course, and go as you please. Someone supported this man. Still 
Why did you mention the sequence? They're good in my family. And they weren't bad decisions. What does a man do tomorrow? A man provides for his family. He's cost me my family. When you have children, you always have Notice the subtlety of that temptation, that invitation, right? A man provides. A man provides. Walter, if you want to save your family, you're going to do this. You're going to provide. And so it's wrapped up into these good intentions, this good end that justifies any needs. And this is really the way the world works. This is the temptation, the core temptation, I believe that we all uh, face. From the beginning of time, men and women have been trying to save the world in ways that ultimately destroy it. Every story of empire, every NGO, non-government organization, non-profit, we all are tempted to compromise. We are tempted to try and save the world using the means that will actually destroy it. Through power, through coercion, through showmanship, whatever it may be. And so we are tempted to save the world, save our families, save our relationships, save our uh, marriages, our, save ourselves in ways that ultimately destroy us. But into this bad news, into this bad reality, comes Jesus, who actually resists this temptation fully and completely, and resists the satanic temptation to save the world using the means that will actually destroy it. This is the good news, and it's our salvation. Let's look at the text real quick. And um, this is Luke 4, like what we read. And I just want to set the framework really quick. This is right after Jesus is baptized. And what does God speak over Jesus as he comes up out of the water? We see the Holy Spirit descending upon him as a dove. And God speaks. He speaks identity. He says, behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is before he does anything grandiose, before he does any miracles. This is before he enters his public ministry. He is loved as a son apart from anything he has done. And this is the very, I want you to come away with nothing else. Come away with this. This is the word that God speaks over those who are in Christ, over you. Behold, this is my son, or this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. Your identity is secure in Christ. And Satan's going to attack that. That's what the core of almost every temptation is, is at our identity. 
at the fact that is God really going to provide? Or do I need to seek alternative means of provision for my family? Is God, does he really love me? Or do I need to go seeking love and do things that help me feel love and experience love? It's so wrapped up in our identity, in our sonship, our daughtership of God. So, he speaks his identity, and then he's led by the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit into the desert. And I want to make this point. Jesus is really tempted here. How many of us are tempted to think that Jesus isn't really tempted because he's like God, right? So like God, it's like a superhero, right? He's like walking in the desert. He's like, come on, Satan. You know, make me, make me, try to tempt me. No, Jesus is really tempted because Jesus is really human. 100% so. He's just as human as you and me. Now, he's also 100% God. We believe that he's 100% God, 100% human. But our tendency, especially in the kind of churches that we grew up in, is to de-emphasize his humanity and elevate his divinity so that his humanity is lost. So we fail to think that Jesus actually felt hunger, that he actually got sick, that he actually struggled with doubt and temptation and fear and anger. Right? Jesus was a real guy with real needs, real temptations, and so when he is tempted, he's really tempted as you would be and are every single day. He's really tempted. We got it? Third, third thing, and then we're going to get into it. Get rid of the cartoon comic book version of this story where uh, Jesus is in the desert and this goblin Satan guy with a pitchfork and red clothes and a cape and, you know, whatever you envision Satan. And he comes up to Jesus and he's like, Hi, I'm Satan. I'm going to tempt you. And this is your test. You know, it's kind of like this show, uh, this, this cartoon. Look, if Satan comes up to you as Satan and says, Hey, Susan, I want you to do this. I mean, I'm going to be like, No, you're Satan, right? Would you? Hopefully. <laughs> uh, no, you're Satan. It's very obvious that I should say no to this. No matter what you say, I think... I believe that Jesus was really tempted by Satan, but I believe that he was tempted by Satan as we are tempted by Satan. I think the serpent slithered into his thoughts, slithered into his context, slithered into the decisions and the strategies he was making. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's going to launch the kingdom of God. He has been commissioned and anointed to bring and to declare the good news of God's kingdom through his life and death. He's going to change the world. How is he going to do this? What's the best way? He knows the way. It's the way of the cross. It's the way of suffering. It's the way of service. But into his mind, satanic thoughts occur. Satan approaches in the form of good ideas. See, some of the most tempting satanic thoughts we have are good ideas. Wait a minute. First temptation. Verse 3 and 4. The devil comes to him. He's famished. He's hungry. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. Jesus might be thinking there in the desert, look at all these stones. 
I totally could make all these stones bread. What if the way I bring about my, God's kingdom, the way that I save the world, is by just making these stones bread and feeding the masses, putting an end to world hunger, living, the, making justice ring out. That could do it. Man, I would be pop, that would be awesome. I mean, immediately, if I could just turn these stones into bread and feed all these hungry, oppressed people, that would be, that'd be the ticket. And to this temptation, Jesus says, verse 5, it is written, no, not just bread. Man does not live by bread alone. So let me say, let me tell you this. I think the core temptation here is to bring the kingdom without the king. To bring justice without Jesus. To bring charity without the Christ, Messiah. The temptation, here, here it is. There, here's what I'm not saying. This is what I, I, I believe, and you know we believe. You're probably attracted to this community and a part of it because of this. We believe there is no Jesus without justice. You don't have Jesus without justice. Justice is part of the Jesus movement, all right? He came to bring justice. And in fact, in a few verses, he's going to, Declare his mission. He's going to say, I have been anointed by the Spirit to provide good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the physically blind, release to the physically incarcerated. I am changing things. I'm bringing justice. But he doesn't bring justice without Jesus. See, there is no Jesus without justice. And that's been our experience in a lot of our growing up in our churches. We've got Jesus without justice. We think we can separate those two. But there's also no justice without Jesus. I think that's the temptation here. Bring justice. Bring charity. Feed the masses without the bread of life. Give them physical bread without the spiritual bread. And that is a way to destroy the world. It's a way to save the world and actually by destroying it. See, Jesus... Um, Jesus comes to bring justice, but there's no justice without Jesus. And so, if you're talking about God, Jesus says to, um, he says, the two greatest commandments, what are they? Can you hear me? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The temptation is to love neighbor apart from love of God. But here's the reality. Love of God fuels and sustains and energizes love of neighbor. Apart from love of God, apart from the true spiritual bread, the words of God, the word of God, Jesus Christ, there is no justice. There is no sustained justice. The historical trauma of people who have experienced oppression over generations needs deep healing. It's not just a matter of making things right and redistributing the, the power. It's about deep healing of the heart that has been traumatized for generations. And Jesus is the one who can get in there. It's, Jesus, it's justice with Jesus that brings healing and flourishing and restoration. 
Forgiveness to forgive the oppressor, to, in order for the oppressed to forgive the oppressor of all that horrific injustice and abuse that they've experienced. That doesn't come by just saying, I forgive you. I'm sorry, I forgive you. Okay, cool, let's go play checkers. No, Jesus has to get down in the heart and transform that heart of, that broken by the sin committed against them and to allow forgiveness to start to spring up. That's only possible by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus. If you want justice, you have to have Jesus. There is no Jesus without justice, and there is no justice without Jesus. But we are tempted as the church, we are tempted as well-meaning people to provide justice apart from Jesus. We're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But Jesus resists the satanic temptation. He resists it. He resists saving the world in ways that destroy it. Temptation 2, verses 5 through 8. Here, here Satan uh, takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. All right? This is like a, just think of that. Um, flipping through a, a book and seeing all these massive empires, these powers, these massive, these mighty generals and powerful world influencers and changers, these people who have brought about their kingdoms through conquest and power and coercion. Satan says, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. It's his because they are living life and working to build empire in service to Satan by using power, coercive power, violence, and conquest. That's how people try to save the world and end up destroying it. It's repeated history. It's repeated history. Try to save the world through violence. Try to save the world through conquest. Try to save the world through coercive power and manipulation. We think we're doing something good, but we're actually destroying the world. And so Jesus thinks to himself, I could do that. That's what everyone's expecting anyways, the Messiah to ride up on a war horse and take down Caesar, rally the zealots, and take over. Just like a guy named Judas Judas Maccabeus, right? Just like Julius Caesar, just like Alexander the Great, just like all these others that came before me, I'm going to create Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, through conquest, violence, and coercive power. It's, so more, it's way more efficient, isn't it? Think of that thought. Wait, God has called me to serving, suffering. He's called me to the way of the cross, not the sword. The sword sounds way more efficient. Way more comfortable for me. Let's do that. That's how all these other empires, all these other kingdoms, all the, even in the name of God, have gotten their start. Let's do that. No, but Jesus knows. What does he say? Jesus answered, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. I am going to go the way that God has called me to go, I'm going to live according to the ways of his kingdom, and the ways of his kingdom is the way of the cross, not of the sword. It's the way of service, not of conquest. 
And this is going to be painful, but I am going to stay the course. I resist the satanic temptation to overthrow the world and spread my kingdom through violence, coercive power. And I am going to go the way of the cross. So Jesus is called to rule the world, right? We believe he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? Do we? I do. I believe that he's actually overthrown all the powers and principalities of this world. But he didn't do it like every other single person did. We see that Jesus will get tempted with this again. Remember he's talking to Peter? And he's saying, hey, the time is coming. He's talking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, I'm going to, my time is coming to an end. I'm going to be killed in Jerusalem. And what does Peter say? May it never be, Lord. May it never be. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. Demonic temptation. To not go the way of the cross. To not go the way of self-sacrifice but to go the way of power, coercive power. Get behind me, see. Jesus resists the temptation to save the world in ways that will destroy it. Third temptation. Jesus gets another, there's another idea. Satan inserts, gets wrestling with him and says, well, how are you going to do this? He takes, probably, and I don't know how this happened. Maybe it was a red guy with a cape, but... Somehow, he's up on top of the pinnacle. He's thinking, he's imagining, or he's there, or something in his mind's eye. And he's on the highest point of the temple. And there's prophecies around this. There's prophecies around the Messiah coming and arriving at the top of his temple. And Satan says, hey, he starts quoting scripture. You notice how he's like, hey, this isn't working. I'm not getting anywhere with Jesus. He seems to be like really value scripture. So I want to quote some scripture. It's like, hey, you know what they say of the Messiah? If you throw yourself down you will not, nothing bad will happen. You'll be borne up by angels. Imagine this. You get up on the pinnacle. You throw yourself down. There's tons of people, and they're watching you, and you, it's like this tightrope show, circus. And you're like, hey, everyone, I'm the Messiah. I'm going to prove it to you. Check this out. Ready for this? And you go, and you're falling, and everyone's like, what? And then, man, and right before you hit the ground, you're snatched up by angels, and you are lightly ascend to the ground. You say, ta-da, I am the Messiah. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have proved it to you. This is what the prophecies say. I can't be hurt. And everyone goes, yes, Jesus, we believe because of this miracle. This is awesome. Jesus says, I've got the power. I could, I could go on the road. Let's do a world tour, the Jesus tour. Let's go, let's heal, let's, let's fill up stadiums, let's go to the Colosseum, let's go to the heart of Rome, fill up the Colosseum, and I'll do some amazing things and gather the crowds. See, that's the temptation, to do it through spectacle, do it through showmanship, do it through the apologetic answer that will remove all doubt, that will do all of this, right? But this isn't the way that Jesus calls, that God calls Jesus to be, to bring about the kingdom. It's not through showmanship. It's not through spectacle. It's through a long obedience in the same direction among those on the margins, 
among those, the least, the last, the lost, the left out, the left behind. This is where he's going to live his life, on the corners of empire, in the abandoned places of empire, not at the central places. He's not selling out auditoriums. He's living in the gutters. And that's the upside-down spectacular of the kingdom, right? What's spectacular in the kingdom of God doesn't happen in the auditoriums. It's lived out in the gutters, in the back alleys. So it's tempting to save the world through world tours, right? But the way of Jesus is through discipleship and life lived on the margins, among the forgotten. Um, Jesus says we're not called to test God. It said you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not here to show, prove God to you. I'm here to live on mission, on God's mission. Now, Jesus does perform miracles. He does, right? He does some amazing things. He raises people from the dead. He, he, he does amazing things. But it's never for spectacle. It's to be a sign and a witness of the inbreaking love of God's kingdom. And you'll notice that often when he heals someone, he does something amazing. He's not like, hey, make sure you get a bunch of people and I'll do this thing. No, he's like, hey, I'm going to heal you. Hey, don't tell, don't tell anyone. My job is to go from village to village, proclaiming the kingdom of God. What does he do when he feeds the 5,000? This is an amazing miracle. He's not opposed to crowds. He's not opposed to feeding them. He feeds the 5,000. The next day, there's just tons of people trying to like get near Jesus. And they're like, hey man, how about some more, more miracles? And Jesus looks at him, this is in John, he says, look, you just want more bread. Every time there's a, and then what he says is, to this giant crowd, he doesn't do like the popular thing, like try to get him to stick around and like build a bigger building to get him to like make room for him. What he does is, hey, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they can follow me. Oh. <laughs> they leave. Says even some of his disciples stop following him. Anytime a crowd begins to accumulate, God brings challenge. Jesus brings challenge. Not because he doesn't want people to follow him. Because he doesn't want, he's not here to be a circus show. He's not here for the spectacle. Jesus is more interested, he's not interested in drawing crowds. He's interested in making disciples. And those are two different things. So he resists the temptation to save the world in ways that will ultimately destroy it. So as I've prayed through uh, this good news that Jesus was faithful, he resisted the ways of saving the world that actually destroy it, I began to think, well, how am I tempted to save the world, to save my family, to save my relationships, to parents, whatever it is, in ways that actually are destructive and not the way of Jesus? And I think in all three of these areas, I'm tempted. I'm tempted in all three of these areas. But I think, as I think about where we are as a church and as a community, as a people who are trying to live out the values of the kingdom and to demonstrate the kingdom of God in this place. I think uh, where I have found my struggle is uh, the temptation to do justice without mentioning Jesus too much. I know I mention Jesus a lot in here. 
But like when I'm out on the street, I'm out by the dumpster, and I'm out uh, and meeting people, and, and just, you know, got my hands dirty. I don't find, I've always, I've, I've had a hard time. Like, how do I bring Jesus here? See, we've wanted to, we want to invite people into the experience of the kingdom of God. We pick up our plates and put down our divisions and we all eat together. We're going to do that. Where we go out and we eat and we welcome all, and regardless of who they are, where they've come from, what they've done, what they're doing, they can eat with us. They can be with us. They can be in our homes. We've done some crazy, amazing, radical things. We've invited people to experience the kingdom. I think where my challenge is, is to bring explanation to that experience. Right? Where they've experienced the kingdom, but who's the king behind the kingdom? They've experienced maybe a little foretaste of justice, and we, we've got lots of ways to grow, but are we proclaiming Jesus as the source of this justice, as the reason? We, we say that our presence in this place precedes our proclamation. Presence precedes proclamation. And we want to be present. We don't just want to clock on people and be like, boom, Jesus, be saved. Repent. We want to live in this neighborhood. We want to be present. We want our presence to precede proclamation. But our presence can't exclude proclamation, right? Do you see the difference? I think sometimes you, you want to be present, but you never get around to proclamation. By saying, hey, Jesus is, is Lord. So here's how I've been trying to remedy that. And I want, I want all of us to grow in this and be praying about opportunities. But... You know, even um, this last meal that we did out here, and it was we invite people to uh, join us for a meal. There's a man who was telling me about his struggle. He's drinking himself to death. Says he hasn't eaten for three days. He's just drinking. He doesn't want to, but he can't. It's the first time he's been out in like three days. And I want to proclaim. I'm present with him there. I'm listening. I live in his neighborhood. He's been invited to the table. We shared a meal. My presence has preceded what needs to be said. My justice needs to have Jesus. And I said, you know what? We believe. I know it's hard. That addiction is brutal. I don't even know what it's like. I know it's hard. But we believe that Jesus has over, like he's actually defeated the power of that addiction. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but can I pray for you? Because I believe that Jesus can can give you strength to overcome this. And so I prayed with them. So that's an example. It's not like handing a tract and like leading them through the four spiritual laws or, or whatever. It's about proclaiming the, the power of God who has come to bring release to every captive and sight to every blind and, and to proclaim good news to the poor. Presence and proclamation together. Jesus and justice. That's what I'm learning Jesus is behind the experiences that we are invited into as a community. So how about you? Where are you tempted? Where are you tempted in the form of good ideas to save your family, to save your relationships, your marriage, your kids? But that actually may not be the way of Jesus. Where are you tempted to coercive power and violence? Where are you tempted to offer justice Without Jesus, where are you tempted to like live into the spectacle, but not be able, not really be willing to get in the gutter? That's what I want to ask us um, as we 
begin to sing. We're going to sing a few more songs. And um, our response, we have an opportunity to respond. Every time the kingdom, the good news has been proclaimed, that's a chance. It's not, uh, it's not, we're not trying to think about it, okay? Where Jesus asks, follow me. He didn't say, think about me. He said, follow me. So that's why we're given a chance to respond concretely. And so we're going to ask this question. I want you to ask yourself as we sing. Um, God, reveal uh, to me where I'm experiencing temptation in my life. Now that might come right to you, you know. I look at women lustfully. Boom, it's right there. But it could be much more subtle. It could be in the form of a good idea. Ask God to reveal to you the ways that you are looking to do good, but not in the way of Jesus. And we're going to pray this prayer. Could you put the prayer response on the, uh, towards the end of the songs there? We're going to say this together uh, before our last song, so you're going to have a couple songs to think about it. We're going to pray this prayer. God, too often we allow the end to justify the means. We praise you, Jesus, who resisted saving the world in ways that destroy it. And here you're going to add your own thing, all right? You're going to say it. It's not going to be the same as the person next to you. You'll say what God is um, convicting you of. May I resist the temptation to blank. So mine would be, may I resist the temptation to give experiences of the kingdom without explaining the Jesus behind it. That would be a lot of words, but you can figure it out. <laughs> By your mercy and power. All right? So let's sing uh, together in response. Let's stand up. And if you're near a light switch, turn it up. Thank you, God, that you have resisted the temptation to save the world in ways that destroy it. God, we are so caught up in destructive patterns of behavior and of belief structures that are harmful to whole groups of people that were set up to save the world in some way but are actually destroying it. I pray God that you give us eyes to see the structures and the systems and the decisions and the good ideas that are destroying the world. And I pray that you give us courage to step into your way, the way of the cross, the way of service, the way of self-sacrifice, the way of Jesus. Resist, Lord. We want to resist the temptation to do anything else. I also want to draw your attention in the back. There's a picture that is inspired by this passage, and there's a little artist explanation. As we sing, uh, it's to the it's on this wall in the back. As we sing, feel free to uh, look at it. You can look at it while we eat, but you you know you're not constricted to your chairs, okay? Um,